0: Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luper. And if you would like to uh, get a hold of me, of course, you can by, uh, well, getting me after I leave the, uh, the station in the parking lot, or you could <laughs> always use any of the contact links. Much easier, probably. Uh, in the description of this fine program. You could also give me a call on the listener hotline, that number 303-832-0217. A lot has changed in the way our commutes look, no matter where in the country you live, or really where in the world you live. The pandemic, as I've talked about many times, has changed the traffic patterns that I've seen, not only on a daily basis where the traditional morning and afternoon commutes are a little bit different with more traffic in the midday. And you're, you're seeing it that on a daily basis, but I think you're also seeing in general, lower congestion levels on a daily and weekly basis in most of the cities around the country. And, and maybe the the traffic patterns haven't changed forever, but they have definitely changed. And I'm a forward looking guy when it comes to transportation, And I wanted to look at what is in store for us, traffic and transportation-wise, here this year in 2022. Are are we going to see more people recalled to the office? There's more people being recalled to my office even this week. And will we see the roads filling up because of that? What about transit? Are people comfortable with sitting on a train or a bus with others as the mask mandates start to lift, including the federal one, which I believe is March 18th? Something like that sometime in mid-March or sometime around uh, the end of, well, spring break-ish, somewhere around the middle of March is when it's supposed to be, uh, at least right now, supposed to expire. Will we so- see more single car drivers because fewer people are wanting to get on the bus or the train? Well, recently I read an article on the Tom, Tom blog, and it's called What is Traffic Prediction and How Does It Work? You can get the link right down in the description of the show. But I also wanted to know what traffic was going to be like in 2022 and how the change in commuting over the past couple of years will change the way traffic prediction algorithms work. So I've invited Jerome Bauer. He's the manager of customer program management for TomTom to be here on the show. And he's a wealth of knowledge, all traffic things that are going on. Jerome, welcome to the World Famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Well, thank you very much, Jason. Thanks for having me. I am speaking to you from where exactly? Yeah, so I'm
1: I'm here in Amsterdam. That's where TomTom Tom is headquartered, and that's where I, where I am right now.
0: And you told me before we started talking that this is the first time in months that you have actually driven into the office. So, what was that like for you? As a lot of people in in you know in in the Netherlands there are working from home. Yeah,
1: it's great because you finally have the social contacts that you miss when working at home. So it's great. Um, In Holland, we were in kind of a lockdown, please work from home mode since end of November, I guess. Um, And that's only lifted a few weeks ago. And now slowly people are returning to the office, but not like pre-COVID times, right? Not, Not five days a week. Also, in my case, I go here now today and I plan to be there once a week. Because the rest I can do from home, my,
0: my behavior really changed because
1: of COVID and I think that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. And I think it's really changed the way people commute and the way people get around, not only there in Europe, but here in the United States. And I spoke to one of your colleagues recently drew Meehan, who lives nearby to you and we were talking about how he gets around. I want to ask you basically the same thing. How is it best for you there in Europe to get around? Yeah, so I, I listen to Drew's story as
1: well. For me, it's a little bit different. Um, so I use two modes of transport, one being the car and two being the bike. And I absolutely love taking the bike wherever I can go. But of course, there's a limit with how far you can, can reach. So also I have a car at home, which I use mainly in the weekends, mainly in the weekends. And yeah, it happened
0: today that I drove to the office as well, but that's rare. Here in, in Metro Denver, the problem with, with uh, I think, not only my city, but also a lot of cities, is in one part of the city, you might be uh, blocked by an ocean. We're blocked by some mountains. So there are only certain ways you can continue to build out and get especially affordable housing and other housing. And one of the areas that we have here is out to the far east of Metro Denver, and that's where a lot of building is happening. But when you're talking about being 20 or 25 or 30 miles outside of a city center, There are going to be very few people who will ever ride their bike to work to a city center or definitely not walk. Nobody's going to be walking 30 miles each way uh, from their home to go to an office. So is it different there in Europe where the cities are smaller, they're closer together? Yeah, so I think the biggest difference is that
1: our cities are much smaller. Just imagine the city of Amsterdam has a population of 800,000 citizens. So you can't compare it like the city of Denver or any of the other big cities in the U.S. We have tiny cities. And of course, London and Paris are two exceptions they are huge. But all the other cities in Europe and all the cities in the Netherlands are pretty small, and nice and compact. So you can imagine in a city like Amsterdam, you can cycle everything. That's no problem. But in my case, I don't live in Amsterdam. I live in a, a city about uh, 25 miles east um, and yes, on my road bike, I, I cycle to the office maybe once or twice. But besides that, it's not really an option. Uh, so, so I think distance-wise, that doesn't really make a difference. But looking at the urban planning, of course, European cities are more dense and smaller. And that's why they're perfect for cycling. And I, I'm confident that in the US, depending on the location and the city, there are definitely locations where where cycling is attractive and I also think with the the quick rise of electrical bikes, that becomes even more interesting and comfortable. But in like uh, Dan Metro, it's so big, I I can't imagine that cycling
0: will be an attractive option for everyone. You're right about the electric bikes. I think they do help out a lot of people. And here in the United States, in some of our our towns, there are people who want to see a European-style form of bikes overcoming cars so it's basically a war on cars in a lot of metro areas around the united states do people there in the netherlands or other parts of europe want to replace cars with just bikes because you can
1: Uh, yeah it's a tricky question so of course there are people who are fighting for that Uh, but i personally think that that's not going to happen right i think the car is a way too comfortable way to get from a to b it's way too cheap as well um so of course if for short distance of course try to replace it with the bike as possible but calling it a war on cars I don't think so. I think we have to give the car a, a nice place, uh, try to hide it under the ground if possible, try to electrify it as much as possible, but, but we're not get, uh, ditching the cars uh, anytime soon. Um, but replacing short distance trips from a car to a bike, I think that's really, really good. And actually cities like Paris and Brussels. Five years ago, you didn't see anyone cycling. If you go there right now, you see lots of cyclists. And it's just amazing. And I, I'm, I don't think it's a war on cars, but it is giving more space and more freedom to cycling. It makes it safer, makes it more comfortable. And that's the way to get people out of the car, out of the, the Uber car uh, and, and onto the bike.
0: I'm speaking with Jerome Brower. He is the manager of customer program management for TomTom. Tom. Uh, basically, we're talking about what it's like right now, the differences between driving and being in Europe compared to the United States. But I'd like to uh, switch over to pred- predictive traffic and talk about some of the ways that you're going to be looking at not only traffic now, but traffic in the future. Because there, there isn't anyone in the world, really, I think, that likes traffic congestion. Uh, i I like to study it, but I don't like to be in it. And when we say traffic prediction, is that just a computer trying to figure out when and where a traffic jam is going to happen? Because I, I know I can pretty much predict where a traffic jam is is going to happen just because of my time doing what i what I do. But at the same time, at the same place, I can see those traffic jam forming, but I can never be exactly sure of where and when it is going to happen. But is that what your traffic prediction is really trying to work on and try to solve those problems?
1: Yeah, so um, first of all, I'm, I like being stuck in a traffic jam, not for too long, because it, it helps me to confirm that the quality of our service is as good as I thought it is. So I don't, I don't like... I don't mind hitting a traffic jam every now and then because it shows me how good the product is. But sorry, let me let me go back to your question. I think we have prediction in three different levels. One is real, real short-term and I go back to that in a sec. Um, one is more 24 hours looking ahead and one is really the long-term prediction. Um, what we're doing at TomTom is actually the first two, um, but I will also touch on the last one, don't worry. So first of all, short-term prediction. So what we do at TomTom is we have a big data fusion engine that's collecting GPS data, journalistic data from state DOTs, uh, data from people reporting accidents in their app, uh, from cameras in front of cars, lots of data we, we all add together. Based on our data fusion engine, we produce for 80 different countries around the world, we produce the current state of traffic. So right now, where is a traffic jam? What's the position? What's the delay time? Is there a dangerous jam tail and what have you? But on top of that, for each individual traffic jam, we also use the recent history and the situation right now to predict how long will that traffic jam be there? And is it increasing or is it decreasing? And the way we do that is by looking at the tail of the traffic jam and the head of the traffic jam and how they are moving. So imagine there's an accident and the jam is queuing up. So the queue is growing backwards really quickly. And then of course we can do a prediction saying, well, this will take a long time before this queue will be gone. But when the the accident is cleared and the queue tail and the queue head are, are kind of moving we can also say, well, in 15 minutes this jam is likely dissolved. This is what we're doing every 30 seconds. We calculate for all of the traffic jams what is the likely time this jam will be there? So we're constantly predicting how, how is the future going to look like. And for traffic management centers, we have a, a similar product, but then reporting the speed on every individual road element, And then we look 15, 30 and 45 minutes into the future. Based on recent history, movement of traffic jams, but also historical patterns. Right. So, if we know that on that on the I-95 there's always a jam in front of that intersection, then then there's a higher likelihood that the jam will will stay there as long as it takes uh, on a normal uh, Tuesday morning, for example. So that's that's a real short term short term prediction. Um, then we have a bit longer prediction. It's a 24 hour horizon. And then we look at typical things, right? We have a huge number of GPS data. um, And based on that, we can really define for each individual road element in all of the 80 countries, what's the typical pattern for a Wednesday morning compared to a Friday morning and a Saturday morning. And based on that, we have a pretty good view. Like "Hmm, on the average Friday morning, there will be a jam at that part of the I-95 uh, so we already use that in our prediction. but on top of that we also use for example weather data. so I think right now you have some some sto- snowstorms going over North America. well we we have kind con- we look at that uh, precipitation information, we look at the movement and we also take that into account for for our prediction. So that's a bit longer term prediction. and then of course and that's the million dollar question that that we don't do right now but that's kind of how will it look like in two years or five years time I mean we we can only guess but um COVID made a mess out of our mobility patterns in a good way I think um soon we will launch uh, something called the TomTom Tom traffic index where we benchmark 404 different cities around the world and we do that already for 11 years and um until up to 2020, every year, it was worse and worse and worse. And now we can really see that some cities are still getting worse. Moscow, Istanbul, but many other cities, it's completely upside down, right? Uh, the most congested moment for the city of Amsterdam is Saturday afternoon for people going shopping. It's not, it's not Tuesday and Thursday anymore. And this is very local, how it looks like and how working from home is, uh, is requested, but I mean, it's totally upside down and I can only guess how this will look like in five years, but uh, but Jason, I really hope that we learn something from working from home and we find a healthy balance between going to the office a few days a week and working from home a few days a week, and that will relax kind of the pressure on our roads and hopefully it will bring congestion down compared to what we were used to pre-COVID. But that's my personal uh, expectation
0: on how it will look like in the two or five years time. I'm speaking with Jerome Brower. He's manager of customer program management for TomTom. And it's interesting that you say that it's uh, in there in Amsterdam that the Saturday afternoon traffic is the heaviest. That's the kind of data that people could use to say, well, uh, uh, then I'm not going to go shopping on a Tuesday afternoon. I'm going to wait till Sunday. I'm going to go maybe earlier on a Saturday and avoid that traffic. So I think that's good, useful information. And if people can get that information, especially on their morning, regular morning commutes, that this road is usually busy. At this time, maybe I'll adjust the time I, I go to work, whether a little bit earlier, a little bit later, or take a different road that then would disturb d- uh, distribute traffic in a different way. And that benefits basically everybody.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, that's the core of our service. So we create traffic data so it can be used in routing services. So as TomTom, Tom, we deliver many routing services to automotive uh, devices, so in-car, uh, to smartphone apps, but also on the web. Right, we have a TomTom Tom route planner whereby you can plan your routes already for Saturday afternoon, and it will take kind of the historical patterns into account. So it will already give you a proper estimated time of arrival, even though it's for a few days ahead, um, and and it's using the historical traffic patterns. What's also nice is that as TomTom, Tom, we also use all of the road works and road closures data, including everything that's planned. So. If, if there's a road closed here in Amsterdam or in Denver and it will be over the weekend, our routing planning service will already take that into account and provide you an accurate service, even though you plan it for a few days ahead. So you always have the, the right route, uh, an accurate fuel and estimated time of arrival. And it will help you to, to A, navigate as quick as possible to your destination, but also help
0: you to plan, plan ahead and have a, a realistic travel time towards your destination. One part of a commute that is probably more impactful than anything are incidents that cannot be predicted. How do you collect those incidents and how do you collect that data? Is it from somebody sitting in office making beat calls to police stations and, or or listening to scanners, or is it basically now you use crowdsourcing similar to what Waze does? Yeah. So, so two components there. So, First, we
1: use a lot of GPS data, like like a lot, specifically in the US, a lot of vehicles, devices, telematics uh, devices, smartphone apps uh, provide anonymously GPS data with TomTom. So when there's an, an accident happen, which we can't predict, right? Uh, an accident happens, vehicles sl- slowing down, um, we will quickly see that we see GPS devices moving slower. So that will be picked up and within half a minute, up to a minute, we start reporting the specific traffic jam. That's fully automated. There's no human process behind that's fully automated. But the context, that was an accident, that's something we rely on other sources. And this can come either from the state DOT that has a data stream, which we plug into and we get the message saying, hey, there was an accident here. Uh, Two lanes are shut right now. It can be uh, someone using one of the, the, the apps that we use uh, where you can kind of report there was an accident happening here. Um, but we also have a, a big group of moderators who are kind of looking at websites and, and checking uh, like, hey, this road is closed because of fire or something else. And they kind of put it into the system. And that all goes into the fusion engine and ends up as you as a driver. So there are different ways. No, we don't listen to police radars. That goes a bit too far. Uh, but we have lots of different sources trying to collect, because although we we didn't really expect this about 10 years ago when we started with traffic, knowing the context of why a traffic jam is there is relevant to the driver. We always thought knowing there's 15 minutes delay and this is a better detour is sufficient. But based on the different research we've done, uh, we, we know that people want to know there was an accident or there's a lane closure because a vehicle broke down or, or the context kind of why you're stuck, even though for
0: the delay and the travel time, it doesn't matter. Because those different, and, and from my, uh, doing this for, for as long as I have, it does matter because, uh, a, a stall, I, I reported on one, even just this morning, there was somebody stalled out. It was there for about two minutes and then went, it went, went on again. So as your, are data is your flow data is just catching up to a traffic jam there the incident is already clear it takes longer to clear up let's say a big chunk of a tire from a semi that is across the highway that that might just take an extra couple of minutes it's completely different if you have a rollover crash that might take 45 minutes to let's say an hour and a half to clear up if people are hurt it takes longer to clear up an incident so i i do think it does matter to people when they know oh this is a this kind of an incident I am going to take then a different way because it will save me time in the long run. But if, if, if I know that there's something that could clear up pretty quickly, then maybe I'll just stick with that traffic jam.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It gives you extra context and makes you make better decisions when you're in the car. So I agree. I also like knowing more context. So, so I agree with you. That's
0: important. And, and I think people are just a, a little bit curious about the macabre and and want to know it's that's one reason people like to watch what i do and they like it when i show crashes from especially our helicopter because they like to see they they don't want to be in in a crash like that but they want to see it
1: yeah I'm, I'm a bit jealous here in the netherlands we don't have helicopters flying over traffic jams looking at root cause but but i get it it gives context and that's uh, that that's
0: that's interesting, it's relevant, and it makes you make it gives you better decisions. Can you measure time of individual incidents? Could you take like when I was talking about certain incidents get cleared at certain times? Could you take all of that data and maybe use that in the future for future predictive data? Saying we know that this sort of incident is here. Typically it takes this long to clear. Does that help you maybe in in future predictive? traffic uh you know re- reporting well um so i
1: think the answer there is that we also u- started to use artificial intelligence in our traffic data fusion engine and the key of artificial intelligence is to find patterns that the human eye can't find and i think that's the beauty here um, because this depending on what type of event what time of day i mean is. That's the beauty of artificial intelligence it will find patterns and react on that which our engineers that are located in uh, in amsterdam and berlin simply don't think about so so yes we we do but it's kind of the magic of artificial intelligence that that takes uh, credit for that but uh, jason i need to say what is relevant is that we get the right context because most of our traffic jams, we don't know what the root cause is. Is it simply capacity? Was it a, a, a small accident? Was it indeed a vehicle that, that stopped but drove away in two minutes? I mean, it really depends on the, the source data we have. Um, and that will also power the artificial intelligence. So when you really have state-of-the-art quality data, then yes, I think it will work really well. But you have to imagine TomTom is delivering this service in 80 different countries, um, from the US to, to South Korea, to Kenya, to the Netherlands. Um, but you can also imagine that the, the source data is different country by country. And, and we found a way to deal with that, but it means that sometimes the contextual information is better than in other countries.
0: I'm speaking with Jerome Brower, Manager of Customer Program Management for TomTom. We're talking about predictive traffic. So as we're talking about incidents here, how much do these incidents then, you think, can play into that AI where it might see there is a pattern of a number of incidents in a certain place? We have a a section of uh, our interstate I-25 that sees crashes nearly every single day, in nearly the same hour of the day, all, I mean, it's it's almost predictive. I mean, can can the AI take that kind of a uh, incident pattern and then almost predict that we're going to see a crash right here on this Tuesday uh, at six forty five in the morning? So. Uh, I think yes.
1: But it, I mean, if it really happens that often, then it's already part of our historical data, our traffic patterns. I mean, if it really happens that often and it causes slowdowns, it's already part of the uh, the historical data. And yes, also the artificial intelligence will look into that. But to me, it's also a bit of black box magic. So I can't tell you for sure this is the case. But um, Jason, it makes me wonder there, there's something wrong with the infrastructure if incidents happen that often at that location. And I noticed in the U.S. that um, there was some research done recently that uh, kind of said that in the past it was assumed that 95% of all accidents is caused by human behavior. Um, but I, I, I heard uh, in an interesting uh, podcast that... Uh, that actually the majority is maybe not because of human behavior. That's just in the end, the infrastructure is maybe wrong or the tarmac is, is is slippery or whatever. And in the end, it's the human behind the wheel that's making a mistake causing the crash. But behind there's much more, including the state of the infrastructure. So I, I do want to mention here, maybe that's not the core product of TomTom, but I think uh, road operators need to need to start looking into that data and start questioning why do incidents happen so often on this stretch of road? And do I need to redesign to make the road safer? And that's just not only the interstate, right? That's also inside the city, road safety is, is, a, is a problem. And uh, I think we can all contribute to making that safer and, uh, and, and asking these kind of questions is key as well. Let's not just assume, oh, it's probably another incident that happened at this road stretch. We should question, why does it happen again?
0: I've tried to get the DOT and the local police department to look into just those questions. This is an area on our north side of Metro Denver where there are three free lanes on the interstate and one express tolled lane. And that lane, typically, because this is the way it's designed, fewer people are driving in it and they say they want to uh, allow for a a reliable trip time for people to be able to pay for the pleasure of driving in a lane that is for the most part driving at what should be highway speeds while the other free lanes are driving at 10 20 miles an hour and then there's a conflict because there are people with this human error issue they don't want to pay the toll they know where those toll booths are they know where those little register those the cameras are so they dart dart out dart back and when they do that They'll jump from highway speeds into slower speeds. They won't stop fast enough or something like that. And people freak out and you have, like I I always term this as you're breaking the gap. If traffic could flow at a thousand miles an hour, as long as you're not breaking the gap between vehicles, they could all flow as fast as you want them to. But when you break that gap, that's where you see traffic slowing down behind it. And once you break that gap coming from one lane to another and then that's where the incidents are happening well maybe so um
1: it's a human human thing for sure but i do think the roads uh, authority can look at the design of the roads trying to see if you can avoid this behavior as it's causing this many accidents well maybe one thing that that i didn't mention so far but one of the features that we developed as TomTom Tom is what he called Jam Ahead Warning. And this is really for road safety reasons and, and hopefully it will save lives. When the traffic speed in the tail of the traffic jam is really slow, but the speed of the traffic approaching like in your HOV lane is really high, it's, it's a high risk, right? Someone not paying attention, driving in the tail of the queue can be terrible accidents. Um, and one of the surfaces we create that is when this happens, when we observe that the speed in the tail of the traffic jams is like five miles per hour, but the speed of the cars approaching is like at free flow speed, then we create an extra warning message saying, please be careful, this is a dangerous jam till warning and depending on the application there will be beeps there will be sounds there will be colors in red warning you for a heavy heavy traffic jam and a heavy slowdown and I, i really think this can be one of the ways to avoid this but after all i think they have to look at the infrastructure as well because that's just a solution to to fix the the problem but they should just solve the infrastructure problem first maybe
0: no, that's interesting to hear that that warning system. So, how do the drivers get that get that information so they can avoid either the traffic jam or avoid running into the back of that queue? What apps does TomTom Tom feed into? Do, do they have to be already part of the car, like on your Tesla, where you already have that big iPad-like device that's sitting in the center of your car? Or can you get it on your phone as uh, I hang up my phone uh, with a little deal that hooks up to the windshield so I can actually see that if I need it? So if, if I'm trying to get your data, how, how do I get that to me while I'm driving? Well different approaches
1: there but uh, one of the things is to download our apps so we have a a free smartphone app called TomTom Amigo please download it it's for free and it includes these warnings so when you're driving even without a route it will warn you for a dangerous jam tail and the way it it works it gives you sounds um, and it shows you a a red x exclamation mark, really showing like something dangerous is about to happen when you approach it. And the, the app is smart enough to look at your speed. So it also depends on your speed, whether for you it's dangerous or you're actually slowly driving into the tail of the traffic jam and it's not dangerous at all. Um, but we also have this embedded in some of the OEMs, so some of the, the vehicles. I can't mention the brands here, but there are cars that give you the warning in the dashboard. Uh, there are even cars that are already preparing the emergency braking system when they're approaching such a, such a dangerous jam tail, uh, because they know potentially the car needs to brake very harsh in order to, to stop in time. So there are different applications. And, and thinking about the future, I mean, we talk about prediction here, when there are more systems that are partly automated or fully automated, they of course have lots of sensors, LIDARs, lasers, etc. but a jam tail right along the corner is hard to, to get with a LIDAR. But with our traffic surface, we can actually warn in time. And that, together with the different sensors in the vehicle, will really help to make uh, a drive in a a partly or fully automated vehicle uh, a, a smooth and
0: safe ride. So it could actually help your data collection if you had cars that were basically a smart car. Let's say a Tesla or some of the newer cars that are coming out let's say they're connected to 5G and you have a good 5G network, so the data is much faster than the 4G that it is right now, you could almost automate that data collection, speed, flow data, the LiDAR, so you could see where the other cars, how many cars are around that one vehicle, so maybe it, it shows that there's more congestion right in that area right there, and then send it automatically back to you, so you are actually sharing back and forth between the car, between your AI, the, all, all the different flow data, and, and maybe with the five G connections, it can actually flow faster, even more fast than uh, than four G or that thirty second update.
1: Yeah, so at that that system is already working. Uh, maybe not with five G, uh, but but I uh, yeah, maybe five G will make it even faster. That would be good. And we're also looking in, in other source data uh, to make the information even richer. But the basic information is just the GPS points, because based on that, we can capture the speeds and that, that only takes seconds to, to calculate or even less. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree that with the new technology, it's, it might become faster and therefore more reliable. Uh, but I mean, I'm, I'm not saying the quality is bad. Based on what we've seen, the quality is really state of the art. The position of the jam tail is really accurate. Of course, you can make it more accurate, but you can question whether 30 meters off makes a real difference. It's the fact that you drive with uh, 60 miles per hour towards a dangerous traffic jam and you get this warning like, um, I don't know, half a mile before you're there. And then the the, the, the real position It's maybe not that relevant um, because it's about the warning and warning in time for the dangerous uh, location ahead. But for sure, it will become more accurate in the
0: future and it will become faster in the future. Uh, I I have no doubt about that. And when we all have autonomous cars, it really won't matter because the car will do the driving for us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were talking about how you get that data to the driver, but how do they interpret that data that's always a problem and and why I, I advocate for my job is why somebody asked me so why do you even have uh, somebody on TV telling me where I should drive and where I shouldn't I, I can just watch my app when I'm when I'm driving I don't even need you since I'm already gonna leave the house right so uh, and, and what I tell them is I'm giving them an interpretation of the data what is as we talked about earlier? What is the incident? Is it just a stall? Is it a serious crash that has lanes blocked? Is the highway totally shut down? Here are the alternate routes, all that kind of thing, and give them context. So how does a driver who doesn't have you know, a guy like me telling them that, that stuff, how do they, from their app or just the data, instead of it just being data, how do they get context as well?
1: Yeah, so uh, like, for example, in the TomTom app, you can see with an icon what type of incident happened. Is it either a slippery road due to snow? Is it an accident? Is it the lane closure? You can see the icon. You can click on it and get some more information. Um, But that's really throughout your route. And I think the beauty of what you're doing, uh, Jason, is that this is more for people who are going to leave in 5, 10, 15 minutes. They already know, oh, something bad happened there. I I can already expect some delays because uh, people will be rerouted and I will be stuck in traffic. And of course, once they get in the car and they turn on their their sat nav and drive to to their work, uh, they will see that as well. But then it's just purely focused on their route from A to B, being the fastest route. And and you actually give them more a helicopter view on what (laughs) happens with traffic. While our apps are more focused on, on showing only for your route, only for what's relevant to you, what's happening.
0: We always talk about the AI and, and all the data collection that is out there, and and, and there's a wealth of data out, out there as you've been collecting it every single day, every single hour as people are driving around. And as you route people, you use that data to, let's say there's an incident, or let's say you know of always there's a traffic jam at this one area on this one highway almost every day, and let's say you're going to start changing the way somebody is going to go on a daily basis then doesn't that just throw off all your predictive data that you've collected over that time if you ha- if you start routing other people away from that traffic jam? And then now you have a traffic jam possibly at an, in another spot that you didn't because you weren't predicting it. <laughs> yeah, so, I
1: mean, uh, a few different things here. So, first of all, um, our historical profiles are for all the roads, including those roads that uh, maybe were not your primary route, but are like the next alternative. Um, So that's taken into account. Um, But when we're rerouting you, that's why we have real-time traffic, because that's about everything that was unplanned. So let's say the highway is shut, you take an alternative route, um, and, and traffic jams are piling up there. No, that's not, according to a historical profile, there was no traffic jam there. But right now there's a traffic jam there, which we measure and report. So it's included in your routes and maybe you get a second alternative route. Mm. Um, but the other thing that's relevant to mention is that people, yeah, how can I say it? They don't always listen <laughs> to what the recommendation that we give. Um <sighs> And, and actually the the funny thing is when we have a road closure, right? So a road is closed. It doesn't make sense to go through, uh, the satnav is saying, please take this exit because road is shut and you you don't want to know how many people we can see in our system that are like not listening. They just drive on slowly with a few kilometers per hour towards the road closed. Um, and luckily we have those people because then we can still report the delay inside the traffic jam. Um, but, but, yeah, I think that's the reality. Some people listen to the ZNF advice. Some people don't. Um, some people don't even see it or, or don't use it. I'm always surprised with truck drivers. Uh, there's a big part of truck drivers here in Europe that are kind of using rule of thumb. Still, it's 2022. They say, uh, Rotterdam to Amsterdam, half an hour. Like Half an hour, it can be busy. It can be quiet now. They say half an hour. And... To me, it's 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 incredible, but these people that are on the on the road 24-7 uh, don't make use of real-time traffic services. They simply listen to what they always expect and maybe they hit the traffic jam and are one hour late for the ferry and maybe maybe they're on time. So there's still a lot of things to, to fix and a lot of people to convince to start Route Clever instead of based on... 20 years experience.
0: You know, it's so funny that you said about the road closed. Just recently, within the last couple of weeks, we had a highway that was closed down, and I was showing on one of our DOT cameras the people. That were still getting on that highway, trying to get on that highway, and it was closed at the next exit. And I said, with all the information out there, with the text alerts that were coming from every TV station, from all the road reports that were coming in from not only what I do, but the other TV stations around, the other traffic people telling you on TV what's going on, with all the radio stations talking about that incident and the roads are closed, the info, you know, and and then if you did have your GPS up or your TomTom, map up you, you could see that the highway is closed but people were still driving in it it was mind boggling
1: it's crazy huh <laughs> and maybe they were listening to your podcast and didn't have any real-time data and, and we're testing out the traffic data surface right well, maybe a few of them well yeah sure exactly
0: it, uh, do, do you have in there in europe are radio reports uh with traffic updates a thing
1: yeah of course of course they they list like the three or
0: five longest traffic jams uh, in the country. Yeah, of course. I'm speaking with Jerome Brower. He's manager of customer program management for TomTom. Tom. I think most people are familiar with Waze and obviously you folks are collecting data in the same way. Is there a way for you to share data between the two or do you just collect your own data and worry about what you're doing or do you look at what Google and Waze and what some of the other services in are are doing and collecting?
1: No. So we're competing surfaces. So, uh, no, we're not uh, sharing data. I think we, we compete, we try to be the best, um, and we do that based on our own algorithms and our own data sources.
0: The traffic patterns over the last couple of years, ever since we had the shutdowns, not only in the United States, but Europe, really around the world, I, I traffic changed dramatically. It is still changed today and I'm not sure when it will come back to what it used to be, or if it will ever come back to what it used to be and it has just now forever changed. So did you have to take all that older predictive data up to the spring of 2020 and then just throw it out the window and now start fresh and collect everything else and just hope for the best? <laughs> well, I wouldn't go as hope for the best, <laughs> but yes, you, you are right. So Um, All
1: the traffic patterns from pre-COVID were not of any use during COVID times. So all the travel times that were collected were way too pessimistic, because in reality, you could drive to your destination much faster. So we also had complaints from logistical companies saying it needs to be better. So what we did in the beginning of the pandemic is that we changed and we said, well, let's take a shorter time frame for our historical data, but all during pandemic. So we have a new pattern and we still have that flow. So we still, we're not using the pre-COVID data, And we try to have the the data since the COVID. And it depends a little bit on the region, whether we take half a year or a year of historical data. Uh, But yes, we had to throw away all the old patterns for sure. Yeah, it it changed. It changed big time.
0: I'm sure you have also seen the change in transit patterns with fewer people feeling comfortable, at least up to this point, being on a bus or being on a train with a lot of other people. How is that so far affecting not only the transit, but also the roads as more people might be staying in their car rather than jumping on a train or a bus?
1: Yeah, so this is um, a scenario for the future. I don't know because I have the feeling that this behavior um, does not have a big impact because we're still working from home. Um, like in the Netherlands, it's still requested to work from home uh, 50% of the time. It depends a bit on the country you're in, what the recommendation is. Um, so I think that is compensating for the fact that people who used to use uh, public transport are now driving a car. I did read stories that, for example, car sales in China are up because they don't want to be in public transport anymore. Uh, in Europe, uh, secondhand car sales are up big time because people, I guess, because they want to get out of public transport are are buying a car now. Um, So that will have an impact. But right now, what we see is that congestion is still down um, and it's not catching up very quickly. So right now, there's no impact. The one thing that I'm very interested in is how this will look like in two years time. Let's hope that COVID is then behind us. We're back to uh, a new normal um and and we're commuting maybe twice a week to the office um how will that look like will the traffic jams be be back uh with the behavior in in rush hour uh or will we like now it will be busy on the roads but it's not that congested as it was before time time will tell but i'm i'm confident that it will be different and we will not have the same patterns as before and yeah, My only fear is that if you really go back and employers want people in the office five days a week, and we indeed are a little bit away from using public transport, that it will become even worse than before. But I, I think that scenario
0: is uh, is unlikely. There are a lot of people that can't work from home, whether it's somebody that's going to come and fix your electricity. Uh, you know, I mean, there, there are people that aren't going to be able to work from home and that's, what's happening now. So you'll still have those people on the road. And then like my office will be recalled here. Most of the folks that have been working remotely for the last two years are now slowly starting to go back into the office. So I can see uh, probably within the next several weeks, months, as we get closer and closer to springtime, more people hitting the roadways and these traffic patterns will probably change again. I think so, too. It will change. But in what level it will change, that's the, that's the question. Um,
1: I think we've seen similar behavior in, uh, in 2021, uh, in summertime, because then things were opening up again. And still, it didn't reach the extreme values in most cities uh, in North America and Europe as it had before. So it's it's going to be very interesting times.
0: Yeah, no, it was interesting when uh, during the pandemic, during the 2020 and actually 2021, we saw more summertime traffic outside of commuter traffic patterns because more people were avoiding airplanes because they were scared about being in an airplane. They wanted to take road trips. And so traffic was actually heavier, heavier going to. At least here in the United States, you know, our national parks and state parks, and going on uh, recreational driving trips. So traffic, again, in that way, was even changed by the pandemic. Uh, we we see same same figures in our statistics,
1: and, and just imagine it's not just going on holiday, but when you're working from home uh, five days a week. You want to get out at some point, right? So the weekend is the perfect time to, to get out, go to a national park, go to somewhere fun. And of course, people take the car. So we've also seen that uh, that behavior in our statistics. That's why I mentioned earlier. In some European cities, the most congested moment is Saturday afternoon, and it makes total sense because people want to get out of the house. They want to do something fun, and and yeah, sure. If that's going to a city to go shopping, if if allowed, then it makes sense that that's a, a crowded time. Um, so yeah, that that's interesting. And the the big question is, will this return? Will, will Saturday become more quiet? Honestly, I, I don't think so. I think this is the new normal. The big question to me is how will the working days, uh, how will they look like in the near future?
0: I'm speaking with Jerome, Jerome Brower. He is manager of customers program management for TomTom. In the, in the little bit of time we have left here, I, I want to go a little bit more into where you see traffic growing this year. Do you see traffic growing in the commutes, do you see traffic growing in the midday? In the middays have seen more traffic over the last two years than any other time that I've been doing this uh, over the last 25 years. Uh, where do you see traffic growing here over the next, let's say, year, two years, five years, 10 years? Yeah. So, I mean, when I look at the statistics here, I, it will it will come back at
1: some level on the working days, right? That's That's a big question. Uh, midday became more busy, yes, that's also what we see in our statistics. Uh, Rush hour is still pretty mild but my expectation is that that will balance out a little bit but I do hope with working from home more but also with better distribution on when people start working that it will flat out a bit. So the whole day will become busier but the peak moments and the congestion levels will actually be lower than what we've seen and As you mentioned before, there will be uh, um, local differences depending on uh, the geography, the local policy, uh, lots of uh, information workers who can work from home or or very few. So there will be uh, regional differences. I mean, just to to give you European examples, we saw last year that all cities besides two went more quiet than... um, than 2019. Only Vienna and Marseille, so Vienna in Austria and Marseille in France, became much more congested than 2019. And that's why you see, you can't say, oh, there's one size fits all for all the cities. It's always local. And there will be local reasons why uh, things become more congested. But, uh, but for sure, we will see traffic coming back. But what's also interesting, Jason, is that I also see some other things that will have an impact, maybe not on congestion, but for sure on travel times. And that's that more and more cities want to become uh, less polluted, uh, uh, safer as well. Um, And then I think about cities like Amsterdam and Brussels who are applying a 30 kilometer per hour, sorry, 30 kilometer per hour speed limit for everything but the motorway. Um, And that will have an impact as well, as you can imagine. And we're actually working together, for example, with the city of Brussels, uh, to see what's the impact of that speed change. And here in Amsterdam, where TomTom is based on January 1st, 2024, also the speed limit will change from 70 and 50 kilometers an hour to 30 kilometers an hour. And I'm really curious what, what the impact will be on travel times. On congestion but also whether people will take the bike more or less so this is just one example of, of local differences that that will have an impact on congestion for sure and we have to look at what the what pe-
0: people behavior uh, is going to be but those slower speed limits only work if the infrastructure is changed to Make people drive at those slower limits with speed bumps or bump outs or where where you make people want to slow down or with enforcement where there will be fines uh, for somebody going over those speed limits. That's the only way those speed limits will work. Yeah, uh, true. Uh,
1: that's why the city of Amsterdam is taking two years to prepare,
0: right? So it's not just a matter of
1: changing the signs and that's it. They, they need two years to prepare the network to to kind of uh, be 30 kilometers an hour ready. But there are different concepts that, that they can apply. I mean, one of the, the concepts we have in the Netherlands, not sure if that's ready for, uh, for the US, is what we call cycle streets. It's a street that's designed like a huge bicycle lane cars are allowed but they have to kind of be careful for the bikes because the, the bikes have priority in the streets. This is one of the measures that in many cities in, in the Netherlands we're now reducing the speed um, by giving cyclists priority by making it look like a big cycle lane so car drivers feel a bit uncomfortable being there and it has a really good impact on both road safety and, and speed. So indeed it's, it's redesigning the roads but while you redesign, maybe you can give some more space to uh, to uh, micro mobility and cycling.
0: And it was also interesting what made me think of when you were when you were talking about how cities are are different. And with remote work, you could live in a smaller town outside the city center that is fifty or seventy five or even a hundred miles away. You could really live anywhere in a rural area, bring more traffic to those places because. There are more people that can work remotely than, than currently could, but you're also taking then folks out of the more densely packed city centers. So hopefully it will ease up some of the congestion in those spots too with remote work distributing almost like, you know, with your algorithms distributing where traffic can flow, distributing where people can work. Yes, I totally agree. Uh, I do need to
1: say that we don't see this in congestion numbers. That is actually going up in in cities that are a bit further away from the, the main economic area. Uh, but one of the side effects is that real estate value is going up in the entire country because of this behavior. So, and I'm pretty sure in the US that's the same. But congestion-wise, no, I, I don't. I think there's enough capacity that you don't really. Uh, have this problem. And if so, then we will measure it and we can talk about it uh, the next time.
0: Perfect. Well, I, I really appreciate all your insights and all your information. Uh, again, how can people get your data, the TomTom data? Uh, what's the easiest way to get it uh, if they're going to be out driving around and they want to know what's the best way to get it? Yeah, around? so
1: check the TomTom Amigo app in your app store and uh, and you can experience the whole TomTom world with maps, traffic data, speed
0: cameras and what have you. And that's all free? Does it cost no, anything?
1: it's free. No,
0: it's free. Uh, how do you guys make money then on that? <laughs> You're just giving out your data for free. Uh,
1: that's a good question. So this <laughs> this app is for free because it's really our demo app. We want to have people experience what we're capable of. But, I mean, the, the way TomTom Tom is... Uh, is working is that we license our maps and traffic data to app makers, to uh, car manufacturers, uh, to telematics devices, to websites that need an interesting API, etc. So that's that's our business model.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you. It's been fascinating for me. I uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation, Jerome Brower, the manager of customer program management for TomTom. Really, a really uh, you you have a wealth of knowledge with traffic management solutions uh, around the world. So I appreciate all your time and insight. Thank you. And how cool is that? Talking to somebody from uh, Amsterdam <laughs> technology. Again, you can get all the information on Jerome as well as uh, all about TomTom. I put links in the description of this show, including the link to the brand new TomTom 2021 Traffic Index uh, so you can read all about your favorite city, whether it's in the United States, whether it's worldwide, and what the congestion rank is uh, for your favorite city. And as Jerome mentioned in that interview, TomTom released that ed- newest edition of the TomTom Traffic in- Index. They usually publish their newest find, their newest newest findings uh, at the beginning of each year, and this is the eleventh edition of the index. And and it doesn't just tell you what your city is in terms of congestion, but it also really details traffic trends across the globe. A lot of folks are, are concentrating on the United States, but there's really different traffic trends for all major cities, as we were talking about with Jerome, across the globe. Each city is a little bit different, and it has breakdowns by city and also comparisons of congestion levels to previous years which is really more important than ever because we are continuing to evolve different traffic patterns since the start of the pandemic. And I think it will continue to evolve uh, in the years to come. So it will be uh, interesting to, to follow this whole thing. And uh, of course, all those links are right now in the description of the show. It's really quite interesting to see where traffic has changed since the beginning and the uh before the pandemic cuz you can look back at like 2019 and 2018 and 17 and see how the congestion was growing and changing in some cities and then obviously 2020 was uh, completely <laughs> turned on its head and 2021 was also a little bit different so it's interesting to see uh, how the different cities not only in the United States but around the uh, around the world have uh, changed, and and just I guess we'll have to wait and see how it's going to uh, all filter out this year, and and in years, in uh, in years to come. I guess um, only the easing of of more pandemic restrictions will give us a real true look of how commuting will change and whether people will get back on trains and buses or people are going to be driving single cars more and we're going to see more congestion or or if people have liked using their, their bikes more often uh, since they uh, were in, in a lockdown situation, maybe more people have moved to a downtown urban area and uh, it'll be just interesting to see uh, what traffic is going to be come like uh, moving forward compared to what it was like. Uh, several years ago. Anyway, uh, thanks again to Jerome for uh, being here on the show and thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luba the Traffic Guy. Be safe and as always, happy motoring.